I am not Rod Serling, but I am a celebrity impersonator and you are about to enter a dimension. Not of Kardashians or reality TV, but of nostalgia. Of television programs and motion pictures that have transcended the passage of time. That's the sign we'll step ahead. Your next stop, CloserWeekly.com's classic TV and film podcast. I'm Ed Gross, and you're listening to CloserWeekly.com's classic TV and film podcast, where we celebrate the golden age of television and movies, then and now. These days, it seems like everybody is entering the dimension not only of sight and sound, but of mind, with the Twilight Zone celebrating its 60th anniversary. But this isn't some warm-hearted, nostalgic look back at a show that manages just to live on in our memory. No, the Twilight Zone is very much alive, and the subject of numerous recently published books about the show, its impact, and its creator, Rod Serling. It's the inspiration for a recent three-day celebration held in its honor. A newly launched television series from Jordan Peele and the CBS All Access streaming service. And a November Fathom event that will see six episodes brought to the big screen. The original series ran on CBS from 1959 to 1964. Created by Serling as an antidote to television censorship at the time, it dealt with very human issues that we still struggle with to this day. And to reflect on all of this and more, we're talking to Rod's daughter, Anne, author of the personal memoir, As I Knew Him, My Dad, Rod Serling, and remembering her father and his contributions to the world that have stretched far beyond the boundaries of the Twilight Zone. Just the fact that this anniversary is happening and the Twilight Zone is still such an important pop culture component. I mean, what is, what is your feeling about that? Well, it's what I told you, that no one would be more surprised than my father, that, you know, we're still talking about the Twilight Zone, talking about him all these decades later. And I'm not the first person to say this, but I, you know, it's still, it's still in uh, our vernacular because his, the issues that he dealt with are still so relevant and prevalent. And, and he dealt with the human condition and, and things sadly, you know, don't change. We're still dealing with prejudice and, you know, mob mentality and the resurgence of uh, nationalism. And, uh, and he'd, he'd be deeply, deeply saddened by all of this. Oh, I'm sure. Seriously, where, what, where his views of humanity were, it felt like, uh, I would imagine right now this would be a very sad time. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. He'd, he'd be saddened and then I think uh, quite apoplectic. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's uh, it's amazing. But, but you know, did he feel like, I mean, do you think he viewed this as sort of the Twilight Zone and, and, and what that show represented was very much of its time and that it wouldn't transcend time the way that it has, do you think? Um, I don't know. I think he had a, a, a deep understanding of who we are and probably felt that, you know, things weren't changing fast enough, but he also felt that it was quite important to talk about these issues and get them out. And he, he was quoted once as saying, it's a writer's job to menace the public's conscience. And, nice. and, and you know, he, he was so censored. So he, he eventually, you know, obviously launched into the Twilight Zone to get these messages out and, and said that an alien could say what a Republican or a Democrat couldn't. So a lot of this just slipped under the radar, and he, and he was able to uh, talk about all these important things. Yeah. 
it kind of makes you wonder if the executives were just dim-witted and didn't realize what he was doing or if they felt it was safe because it was couched within the allegory of the stories being told. I don't have an answer for that. I wonder. I wonder. I'm sure there were some with a good conscience, right? Yeah, I'm, I'm sure. But I wonder if he felt also then your dad felt like he was pulling the wool over their eyes, like they don't get it. <laughs> and I'm still making these comments. Well, I, I'm sure he must have, you know, I, I, I'm sure he was frustrated and he must have felt like that to some degree. But, uh, yeah. Do you think the, the continuing interest in the Twilight Zone decades later like this would have shocked him? Oh, completely. Um, yeah, as I said, no one would be more surprised than, than my dad and, and honored and, and so grateful. There, there's a program in Binghamton called The Fifth Dimension where all the fifth graders watch the Twilight Zones and they learn about all these issues, you know, mob mentality, scapegoating, prejudice, hatred, all of that. And they really get it, Ed. It's really amazing to me. These are fifth graders. Yeah. Um, in fact, one of the teachers told a story about how she uh, showed the episode The Monsters Are Due on Maple Street, and she asked the class, who are the monsters? And she said the whole class stood up. That they were the monsters on Maple Street. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Wow. They, they, they get it, you know, that, yeah. that it's we humans. Absolutely. That's amazing, though, that kids would get it. E- even more amazing is that kids would watch Black and White Show because my, my right. three sons who are now in their uh, late 20s, early 30s, you know, you bring up Black and White, it's like, I'm not watching that. Right. So, <laughs> well, and not, not just the Black and White, but, you know, the – you know, things today are so fast and high tech and, you know, there, there isn't a moment to stop. And, uh, you know, the Twilight Zone was a low budget and, and much of it was dependent on, the, you know, the direction and the shadows and all that. And um, I, I think, you know, part of what makes it really still powerful, but then I'm not 20. You're right. So. Well, yeah, <laughs> neither am I. <laughs> so I understand. <laughs> You know, I want. I wonder if your dad's battles back then, if he, because everything was couched in allegory, whether I don't know how much how knowledgeable you are in this, but I'm wondering if there were constant battles with the network, basically over the content of the show. Well, that's my understanding, uh, which is originally why he launched into the Twilight Zone. But I think you know, as we were saying, once. He got the show going, and he was able to get these messages out. So, but I, I often think Ed today, you know, he was pr- so prolific back then, you know, and today with a computer and and the ability to really speak out what what he would be writing and talking about now. Well, you think there's so many issues now, and especially in the political climate we're in now, uh, you would imagine he'd have a field day with it. Yes, he would. Yes, he would. You know. What was his appraisal, if, if if this makes sense, this question, of the human condition at the time? Do you remember? I mean, what did he think of people in general? Well, I think, you know, basically he thought um, that, that there was hope for people and he, and he deeply cared. And um, so I think despite everything that was happening, you know, way back then, you know, the civil rights, uh, he still felt that that we'd pull it together. Right. I think he, yeah. No, you think he, you know, what? I interrupted you. I'm sorry. I, I, no, I just said, I think he thought we'd eventually get it together. There were enough good people and bright people and 
this kind of diversity wouldn't would 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 end. Right. You think you'd be disappointed? We didn't, have, we didn't have a lot of discussions about that, but I but I can tell you that I remember my dad talking about prejudice a great deal and how it incensed him. And he said, you know, it's the greatest evil of our time. Really? That's interesting. And, and it's interesting that his own dose of his first uh, experience with prejudice was when he was uh, in high school and he was blackballed from a Jewish fraternity for dating non-Jewish girls. So it's interesting that it came from his own people. That's what I wonder. I wonder how much of his, uh, in the creation of the Twilight Zone and all that it became, how much of that was based on things he went through? You know what I mean? To be able to stand there and write these stories or oversee these stories that were so well, powerful. I, well, I can tell you that um, he hadn't set out to be a writer. He, he was going to teach physical education to kids because he liked working with kids. But as he said, the war put an end to that. And he was quite traumatized and broken after the war. And his father died while he was overseas as well. Oh, wow. So it you know, was a lot of unresolved grief. And um, when he came back and he, he went to Antioch on the GI Bill, and he said he, he went there because his brother went there. But he just, he, you know, like so many vets, all vets, I guess, you know, there's PTSD, which wasn't even a term back then. It was uh, shell shock. Right. Uh, but he just, he finally changed his major to language and literature because he said he had to get it out of his gut. It's really interesting to me when I was writing my book, one of the most difficult parts of it and painful was when I read the letters that he wrote to his parents when he was in training camp. And Eddie sounds like a, you know, like he's just this kid at summer camp writing home for chocolate and gum. And it really broke my heart because my, my son was the same age at that time as I was writing those chapters. Wow. And, uh, and I just think how young these guys are that, you know, we send to these horrific wars and, and how much it, you know, the, how deeply it affects them. And I, and I remember my dad having nightmares. And in the morning I would ask him what happened and he would say that he dreamt the enemy was coming at him. Oh, wow. So it was, you know, very much part of his everyday life still. And, of course, he was wounded in the war. He was hit by shrapnel in his wrist and his knee, and his knee would frequently go out when he was going down the stairs and he would fall, and then it would spontaneously bleed. So, you know, he had not only the, all the emotional wounds still, he still had the physical wounds. Yeah. And did those, all of that, did that haunt him, so to speak? I mean, obviously, he was a husband and a father and all that stuff, but, but was he haunted by all that stuff? Well, you know, I saw that in, in the nightmares that I remembered him having. But, I, you know, that was one of the reasons I wrote my book, because I was really tired of um, some people who had described him as this dark and tortured soul, because that is not who my dad was. That is not who he was to his family. That is not who he was to his friends. Um, he was funny, brilliantly funny. And even as a teenager, I, I loved to hang out with him, as did my friends, because he was fun. He was a practical joker. He was silly. So he had that joy, basically, despite all this other stuff going on. Yeah. And, and you know, he came, his childhood had been, and he would say, have said this and did say this, too, was quite idyllic. So, you know, he... he had that still deep in his heart. And we got that in episodes of The Twilight Zone. I mean, um, I can't think of the name of the episode, but the guy goes back to his old town. He meets himself as a kid. Uh, walking distance. 
There you yeah. go. I walked. I couldn't think of the title. Uh, brilliant. And I guess that captures a lot of that feeling from him. Walking distance, I would say a stop at Willoughby, and there was a, a night gallery episode too called "They're Tearing Down Tim Riley's Bar." Same theme. He he said he had, he told a, a class that he taught he had a propensity to write about the past, but he has he had a deep yearning to be young again. And I think actually in that walking distance episode, you know, his, the father in the episode says, "Is it really so bad where you're from? You know, maybe you've just been looking behind. You need to look ahead." Right. And I, I, I know that uh, I'm sure that was the dialogue he wished that he could have had with his father. Yeah. That's such an amazing episode of the show. It really is. Yeah, it's, uh, it's one of my favorites. Yeah. Just a beautiful, beautiful show. How much of your dad would you say was in The Twilight Zone? Well, you know, certainly in episodes that deal with going back uh to the past. That's a, that's my dad. Uh, the episode um, uh, Death's Head Revisited about the SS officer who goes back to the concentration camp. Right. Uh, that was my dad. I mean, he, he just, uh, that was his opportunity to, you know, there was revenge there. Well, retribution, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. That's a much nicer word than revenge, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you know, it's so funny. People keep trying to do the Twilight Zone. Obviously, you know, it's it's still being done. Jordan Peele is doing it now. Uh, what is, I guess your dad is the missing ingredient. I was going to say, what's the missing ingredient that none of these attempts at redoing, because it's been done a number of times over the years, takes off. But I guess the fact is, is uniquely your dad. Well, that's, I, I can't remember if it was Richard Matheson who said that or, um, no, I guess it was Buck. It was Buck Houghton, the producer of Twilight Zone, who said exactly what you just said. The key element, Rod Serling, is missing. Yeah, because it never matches. I mean, they just never do all these versions. Some of them have some good episodes, but it's still not the Twilight Zone. Right, right. Of course, I'm a little biased. So well, of course, I'm you would be. <laughs> right. Why wouldn't you be? Right. You know, is is it mind blowing that the show is now you know its 60th anniversary? I mean, is that crazy? It is crazy, but it's, you know, again, my dad would be so, so stunned and honored. And, and understandably so. And it's still got even the, but like I said, they've reinvented the show so many times and yet the original somehow transcends time, which not a lot of shows are able to do anymore. Well, again, because it's dealing with issues that are still so relevant. Yeah. No, absolutely. You know. It's uh, now you you I didn't realize you had you'd written a book about about your dad, right? Right. Um, as I knew him, my dad, Rod. Now, when did that come out? When was that published? That book? Uh, the uh, hardcover was 2013 and then the paperback came out in 2014. So for you revisiting that closely, because obviously you have to do a deep dive, so to speak, uh, to write that kind of book. What was that like, that experience of writing it? Actually, a wonderful experience. I had tried to write a book after my dad died uh, called In His Absence, and I was nowhere near resolving the grief that I was going through. And I'm not unique to that, I, I, but I was pretty paralyzed after my father died and became agoraphobic and just really couldn't pull it together. So it took me years to finally write this book, and there were three reasons I wrote it. One was you know, like my dad, I find writing cathartic. 
and so it was a way to navigate through all that grief. Um, I wanted to know more about my dad's professional life, and, and finally the last reason was to uh, address what I talked about before about the depiction of my dad as um, this dark, tortured soul, because, again, that's not who he was. It's it's funny, Ed, I did a reading before I was done at the Paley Center, and a woman came up to me and told me that her father had a terminal illness and that he was going to die, and she said after she heard me read, she knew she'd be okay, and I was just blown away. Wow. That, you know, my something I had said moved this woman, and I couldn't even speak. All I could do was hug her. Oh. Because, you know, we, we all are on this planet experiencing all of this, and it, um, little kindness, you know, can go a long way, and I, I just, um, I, you know, and I fell for her that it's a, it's a long road. Yeah. And it is <laughs> yeah. very long road, you know, you know, I have, I have, I'm revising a book I'd written years ago uh, called Planet of the Apes uh, Revisited. And I'm wondering, did your dad ever talk about that experience of Planet of the Apes? Well, all I really know about that is that um, he wanted to stay true to the novel and his first script or I think maybe there were several scripts that he attempted proved to be too expensive, and that's when they brought in the other writer. I think his name was Michael Wilson. Yes. And, uh, although the iconic ending is my dad's, and it, and if you know his writing, you can you can pick up you know what what words are my father's. But uh, I I I don't remember him really discussing it so much. I do remember him discussing um, when Joan Crawford was in the night gallery. I think it was called Eyes. It was uh, Steven, actually Steven Spielberg's yes. first directing job. And uh, she was a bit of a perfectionist, apparently, and a few other things that we now <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, We'll say perfectionist. It's such a polite way to put it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, she was calling him frequently, and I do remember him rolling his eyes and just a little exasperated with that. And my dad... You know, he was, I'm sure, pretty kind to her, but uh, it, yeah, it was tough. What is your feeling about the fact that Twilight Zone is is not only, you know, is experiencing this longevity, is the subject again of another reboot, and of course they're doing that big event at the Fathom events where they're going to put some Twilight Zones on the big screen. What What is your feeling about its enduring nature? Well, again, you know, like my father would be, just honored and uh, touched. Why does the Twilight Zone continue to capture our imagination, in your opinion? Well, again, you know, because it's dealing with human issues that are still relevant and sadly prevalent. But I think, you know, the fact that they're doing this event in Binghamton would have really kind of tickled my dad because that was his hometown and uh, he loved his hometown. In fact, every summer uh, when we came east, we have a cottage on my mother's side of the family and my father would take an annual pilgrimage back to Binghamton and drive by his old house and by the carousel and revisit all these old haunts. And, uh, it, you know, it never left him. That, that episode we talked about before where he goes back the, you know, the adult goes back to his childhood. The carousel played a major part in that. Oh yes. Oh yes. Because it's again, a big part of his life, his youth, his summers. You know, the Twilight Zone was born out of his frustrations, I think, with network television and dealing with the, you know, the executives and all that sort of thing. 
was he, did he feel like he got around them, so to speak, do you think? Do you know what I mean? Well, Dealing I, with stuff he I, couldn't have otherwise? I, I think he did feel that he did. I think he finally found a way to, to, to exactly do that. And when he had that um, interview with Mike Wallace, and Mike Wallace made a comment, so you're not really going to be writing about anything serious anymore. <laughs> And this was, I think, days before The Twilight Zone was going to air. And so there was a little or a lot of trepidation. So I think my father kind of skirted the question. So funny, though, to think that like, oh, yeah, you're not writing serious television when it's like some of the most remarkable TV produced. Right. You know, truly amazing. You know, your feeling about this legacy, the fact that it's still going on. Here we are in 2019 heading quickly into – uh, 2020. What what is your feeling? Uh, just the fact that this thing, this concept of your dad's, is still so prominent in so many ways. Well, it's it's tremendously sad that we're still dealing with you know so much of this, so many of the same things, and uh, so so there's that. Um, but you know, I and again, I'm very biased, but I believe my dad was a great writer, and um, he was like. Like many, and I think you know, good writing stands the test of time. He he once said that he didn't feel his writing would stand the test of time, but clearly here we are, right? Yeah. How hard is it, or maybe it's not hard at all, in this society where people are moving so fast and and uh, uh, just not holding on to anything? It seems. Is it difficult, or is it just doing it on its own? The fact that people are remembering your dad and remembering the Twilight Zone so fondly. Well, that's one thing that's been has really touched me because since my memoir came out and I and I hear from people all the time and they say things that to me like that they thought of my dad as their own father. Some of them came from very tumultuous childhoods and remember watching the Twilight Zone and, and just feeling so connected to him. I hear from others who say they became writers because of my father. So it's um, it's just really heartwarming to to hear these messages that he touched so many people. He he had no idea, and you know again how how grateful he'd be to know that. Yeah, right. Because he's doing the slog, so to speak, of doing television, not knowing what the impact of it is. Right, and he was also very self-deprecating. So um, you know he he wouldn't necessarily have seen that. Right. You know, it's kind of funny. What it reminds me of is like when uh, George Reeves uh, played Superman, of course, in The Adventures of Superman, and he felt so lost. And that was part of the reason he ended his own life was he just he had no direction because all he was known for was this show and he couldn't get work and all that stuff. It's a shame that just a few years later, how he would have recognized or realized how beloved he was and how important he was. And your dad's lucky in the sense that it seems like almost from the beginning, people recognize the power of the Twilight Zone. Right, right. But that that is tragic. You're right. Yeah, because you think you're not making an impact that all you have is eight-year-old kids liking you and all of a sudden it's like, no, there are generations of people who are liking you and will continue to like you and and treasure your memory and stuff, you know? So it's... uh, uh, Yeah, he told a... He taught at Ithaca College and he also taught at Antioch and he told the class that... I think he was asked the question, what would you want on your gravestone? And uh, my father said something about, well, just that he left friends. And when I was finally able, after years after he died, to go back to his grave, somebody had left 
uh, that message on a piece of masking tape tied to the flag on his grave that said he left friends, and it pretty much knocked me out. That's great. That is great. You know, you ever watch those old? I mean, I hope this isn't an insensitive question because I don't mean it this way. Where you ever watch those old footage of him with those cigarettes in his hand, just like put that out, <laughs> stop oh, smoking. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. My sister and I would throw his cigarettes in the fireplace, and much to his fury. Really, he'd probably yeah, got really pissed at that. Very, right? you know, it's uh, he was addicted, hopelessly, helplessly addicted. Yeah, and uh, as was his dad, also a big smoker. You know, this is going to sound like a goofy question in one way, but but if if you had to sort of describe what your dad was like, because we know him as, you know, you vented a dimension, right? I mean, that's where we know him. It's like, for you, what is your dad, what was your dad like? Brilliantly funny. And, you know, like I said, just playful, silly, fun to be with. Um, he'd do things like uh, disappear and then come back into the room with my lampshade on his head. And <laughs> funny, funny costumes. Um there was a practical joke he tried to pull on Richard Matheson when they did the monster or uh, nightmare at 20,000 feet. And uh, my dad had stayed up at night, apparently planning this, that when Richard Matheson got on the plane, my father had somehow taped a picture of the gremlin on the, on the window and <laughs> had arranged it. So the flight attendants pulled the curtain. So, Richard wouldn't see it, but as it turned out, a big wind came by or something and blew it off. Oh, so, that sucks. <laughs> so the whole plan was ruined. But, uh, yeah, so, you know, that's who he was. He was a practical joker, anything for a laugh. Yeah. Um, frequently, I can remember him telling a joke and, and, and getting hysterical in the middle of the joke, slapping his knee and missing his knee, and he couldn't even finish the joke because he got lost. <laughs> so just... I guess I would say the polar opposite of what you'd imagine. Yeah, absolutely. All right, when you think of your dad, what comes to mind? Uh, well, <laughs> I'm just getting a little teary, so I'm I get sorry. that. I didn't mean to make you cry. <laughs> no, it's just, I, I miss him, Ed. You know, yeah. it's, not a day goes by that he doesn't flow through my mind, so... But then I'll laugh, too, because I'll remember something that he did or said, and it makes me laugh. Was he a fun dad? Oh, so much fun. Yeah. So funny. That's wonderful. Seriously. And I'm so glad that you could be moved. So, it says so much that so many years later, you could still be moved by the you know talking about him and stuff. I think that's wonderful. Yeah, he was. Um, and I, don't, I also don't forget for a moment how lucky I was to have a dad like that. Right. Absolutely. It's, um, you know, we see the serious Rod Serling, you know what I mean? We see the guy who's hosting the shows and, and, and that. So it's so lovely to hear you being emotionally moved by your memories of your dad. Yes. Yeah. Well, you know, and if you talk to other people too, you know, that even people that just met him on the street, they, they all said the same thing. What a nice guy. To learn much more about Anne and Rod Serling, check out a copy of As I Knew Him from Amazon and wherever books are sold. Please subscribe to this podcast, tell your friends about it, and give us a five-star review. Thanks very much for listening, and we'll see you next time.